Welcome to Vision Drip, a podcast designed to give you a steady drip of our vision, mission, and DNA to establish and refine the gospel culture at Sacred City Church. I'm your host, Pastor Sam Schmidt, church planter and pastor of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. I am so excited to have you with me as I hope this podcast helps to equip you as a disciple of Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life as we set out to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. Not only do I hope that this podcast helps you grow, but it would grow your affections for Jesus. So let's dive into this episode of Sacred City Vision Drill. feel about leftovers are you the type of person you get a good meal it's so big you can't finish it but it just breaks your heart at the idea of throwing it away so you go to the drawer you find a ziploc baggie find some aluminum foil wrap that thing up throw it in a tupperware whatever you got to do to preserve that so you can come back and relive the tasty meal that you had the day before are you are you a leftover person i kind of am i like leftovers uh, mostly because it's like the easiest thing to do the next day. Um, you know, you just pop in the microwave and there you go. You're off to a great start. Well, this podcast today is kind of like the leftovers, but in a good way, not in a bad way. It, this isn't one of those things you look back, oh man, leftovers. Hopefully this is something that's helpful because uh, coming off of uh, this past Sunday sermon, um, when Jesus is speaking about uh, the anxious state that we find ourselves in so often when he says, don't worry about, doesn't life consist more about what you eat and what you drink and, and more than the body, what you put on and how you clothe yourself, right? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness, and it will be added to you. And I went back to that quote from C.S. Lewis in, in Mere, Mere Christianity where he says that, you know, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you miss them both. Well, it turns out that uh, this is a topic that's pretty relevant to a lot of people, as I imagine. As as Edwin Freeman, I've, I've even talked about this in the podcast before, uh, in the book Failure of Nerve, talks about the most, the, the largest, the greatest societal ill of our time is that we are a chronically anxious society. Now, as Christians, we could say, well, actually, Edwin the biggest problem with our society is we're a bunch of sinners. Well, yeah, that's true. But but the product, the the uh the product, the result of sin has left us in this anxious, sort of worrying. Um, I mean, it even dabbles into guilt and shame, the state that just is is less than human. And um and really one of the big questions in life is how do I deal with anxiety? How do I how do I not just manage it, right? Because I, I was getting into how culture tends to either tell us to just ignore it. You know, there's nothing that you should really be anxious about. Just put your head down and do it. Or it gives us the ability to sort of like manage the symptoms, uh, just like taking, you know, a little bit of Tylenol um, to get rid of that that uh, ache you got in your body. Um, but doesn't actually really deal with with the problem at, at the core, and what Jesus has done in this in this um, this passage here in, at the end of Matthew chapter six is really get to the heart issue and get to the root problem, um, and and 
you boil it down and it, it all comes down to a lack of trust. Um, and, and so I guess I don't need to re-preach the sermon. Um, if you want to go back and listen to it, it's already posted up online. You can find it, uh, the Apple podcast store, um, Spotify, it's on our website. You can get, get your hands on it. And, and I would begin, um, by starting there and giving that a listen. Now, what I want to talk about just because I, I simply ran out of time, um, is how to actually, um, deal with anxiety. Now, one of the things that, that I've come up against as I've been counseling people and helping them walk through um, and fight against this this anxiety, and, and for many people it's this chronic anxiety that's just kind of like a, a perpetual state of our hearts that just sort of drones in the background of our life. Now people, some of them, um, some people, and this might be you, you're asking the question, well, is anxiety a sin? Like is it is it a sin for me to be anxious. And the best answer that I have is maybe, maybe it's a sin. Now, let me explain what I mean here. Well, first of all, if I were to say yes, here's how I would back that up. I would say that, um, go to Romans, uh, what chapter is it? Chapter 13, maybe when the apostle Paul says that anything that doesn't, doesn't proceed from faith is a sin. He literally says that anything that doesn't come out of faith, he says is a sin. And so uh, anxiety, by, by definition, is not a faith-filled position to be in. It's not a faith-filled state of the soul. It's one of, of fear. It's one of um, worry. Um, and so it's not a faithful, right? This is why Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, when he's discussing the topic of anxiety here in Matthew chapter 6. So in one regard, I would say, okay, yes, it is a sin. And in some other cases, I would say, no, it's not a sin. Because what I said was, and I, okay, this goes back to how you respond to it too. Because think of it like temptation. Is temptation itself a sin? No. James tells us that. Temptation isn't a sin, but temptation uh, plays on our desires, which will eventually uh, give birth to sin, uh, which itself is, is sort of a problem. So think of anxiety, the feeling, the initial feeling that you get where you feel anxious. I think that that we can think of that like temptation because the reality is why we feel anxiety is because uh, we are met by that which we cannot control. And so it, it's right for us to come into these scenarios that seem bigger than life, that, that seem beyond our scope of, of manageability, um, and get to the, the core of like, oh my goodness, I'm kind of overwhelmed. And there's a lot that we honestly should be overwhelmed about. But the question then is, what do you do with that? When you have that initial impulse, do you feed that like you would feed temptation? Or do you speak to it like you would speak to temptation, which you're trying to resist? So the way that you handle it, so the initial, I would say the initial feeling of anxiety probably isn't sinful in itself, but how you respond to it is, which is then if you are responding to it and you're feeding it and you're, you're letting your mind and the worst case scenarios, the fear and anxiety of your heart sort of take control and let that become, determine what your reality is, right? Going back to, um, the perceived threats versus the real threats, right? You're letting sort of your inner dialogue run the course here and you're just pumping yourself full of anxiety and fear and worry. 
that is when you have opted uh, out of pursuing trust in Jesus to trusting in yourself. So it's kind of, it's a really gray area here and it's hard to, to pinpoint. What makes it even harder is that when people like have anxiety as like, it's that constant drone in your life and it, it becomes, it comes to the point where it's like clinically speaking, you could go to a psychologist and they would say, okay, you have chronic anxiety, clinical, uh, anxiety. Like you, you just have worked yourself into a, an anxious state. And that just kind of is where you already always are. Now, there are some cases and, and maybe some of you are out, out there and you're listening to this and maybe that's you. This doesn't change the fact that the, the root problem with your anxiety comes back to a trust issue. Now, there might be all other kinds of different things. So there might be a chemical imbalance that's actually in effect. There might be some physical, physiological things going on in your body um, that make it hard to even come to grips with that. And, and in that case, like an avenue that might be helpful to allowing you get to the heart issue would be to pursue counseling, to pursue medication in order. It's like a gateway, a pathway into actually um, addressing the heart issue. I think that there might be a case for that. And I think it's really hard uh, to term, to determine that by yourself. So that might be something that you take it to your community and say, Hey, I just constantly feel in this anxious state. Can you guys speak into my life a little bit? Can you help me work through, like, can you point me to parts of the gospel that I'm, I'm not believing in the day-to-day parts of my life? And that could be a great starting point. And if, if it's like not getting through, if it's, you know, you, you, can, are finding yourself to be resistant, nothing's really changing, that might be a ch- chance for you to go to your doctor and talk along those lines. Now, what I want to talk about, because um, I think those are, are very rare cases, very, there's a very small percent of people who that is actually th- like the course of action for them. I think that the bulk of our anxiety issues can be spoken about, can be uh, dealt with in the context of community with people who understand the gospel and how it speaks to our fears and our worries. Um, and so I think the bulk of people, like if, if you're struggling with anxiety, a great place to turn to is your missional community. And, and just having this real um, moment of vulnerability, like like in our prayer time, for example, every missional community does this. We take time, you know, 10 to 15 minutes during every missional community to spend time in prayer, gospel, community, mission, you know, and, and, and the, you know, typically, hopefully your MC leaders are breaking that down each week, um, but kind of explaining, okay, what does it mean to be praying through gospel? So one of the things with gospel is we want to be praying and acknowledging evidence of grace and giving God thanks for what he's been doing. Because because God hasn't wound up the clock and walked away. God is still active and present, and the Holy Spirit is still doing stuff in people's lives. And so we want to develop gospel eyes to see that thing. But the other part of of praying through the gospel is praying through areas where we're struggling to believe the gospel, praying through areas where we're having a hard time and we want to bring it forward to our community so they know how to best love us and to serve us and to point us deeper and deeper into the arms of Jesus. And so this is one of the things where here's an opportunity for you every week to just say, hey guys, this sermon you know, really brought up some stuff um, this past week about my relationship with anxiety, and I think it plays a bigger factor in my life than I want to admit. Can I just, I just ask for prayer for that. 
um, and just allow you guys to sort of probe and press in when you see the anxiety sort of swelling up in my life, right? Giving people permission to speak gospel truth in your life, right? Because I talked about this even in my sermon is like one of the worst things that you can do for anxiety when people are actually worried is say, oh, they're there. It'll be all right. Um, you're such a good person. It'll, you know, you're going to, you got this right. And, and really it's just what that seems like to people who are really in the thick of anxiety is a bunch of fluffy stuff that has no substance. It doesn't ground you at all. It just makes you feel even more anxious because like, oh, now, now you expect me to handle this. Like you think that I got it. What happens when I, when I don't have what I need or when I'm unable to deliver on what needs to be delivered on. And, and so it can be really, really counterproductive if we're not careful careful. Um, and the way that we fight against this in a gospel culture is to identify weakness, identify vulnerabilities, not to, uh, not to attack or condemn or to belittle those people, but to point them, uh, to Jesus so they can, can believe the gospel in even a greater extent. Okay. So, we're sharing our weakness with people, not so that we would get beat up, but so that we could be restored. So the gospel would move in, would go deeper into Jesus' arms, and we can experience the power of the Holy Spirit who's with us, right? If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, which is why we can say, we, we hear that we have everything that we need for life and godliness, the raw power, the power of God that raised Christ from the dead is inside of you, right? The indwelling Holy Spirit. And so that is one of the things, one of the great resources that we have as we're struggling and fighting against anxiety. Take it to community. Now, your community is not around you at every waking moment of the day. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully you have a couple people in your MC, your fight club, whoever it might be, they can reach out to in those, those moments of extreme vulnerability where it really feels like things are creeping up, right? And this goes for any sin, not just anxiety, whether it's lust or greed or envy, or you're just angry with your spouse or somebody at work. And you just got to say, Hey guys, can you pray for me? Can you lift me up in prayer? Um, can you, can you remind me of the gospel here? Cause I'm having a hard time believing. So Hopefully you have at least a couple of people, but community is not always around you. So there's one skill that you have to learn as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, as you're navigating through the everyday moment by moment parts of life, and that is how to preach the gospel to yourself. Now it might seem kind of hard, um, but, but really honestly, it's, it's not that difficult because Nobody, aside from God, knows you better than you know yourself. So you know sort of the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses that you have, your sin tendencies, where, you, where uh, you know, maybe sin flares up, what sort of um, invokes it the most, whether that's a, a time of the day or a certain situation or a certain person or whatever it might be, that you kind of know where you struggle. And so one of the helpful things when it comes to preaching the gospel to yourself is, is having these breath prayers that sort of have this, you know, a short little sentence of a prayer that reminds you about who God is and why he's trustworthy. Like who God is and why you can turn to him, who God is and why he has a strength for you and that you have access to that strength to get you through to fight against temptation um, and, and lead you deeper into trust in your Lord and Savior, Jesus. So part of that is breath prayers. The other part is just, and, and actually here, let me say this. What you're doing in those moments is you are speaking to your anxiety and not listening to it. 
Do you see the difference? See, if, if anxiety is this sort of internal monologue that's happening, that's just going to tell you that the world's coming to an end and you've got all of these reasons to be afraid and to be worrying, right? That's you listening to your heart. That's you. I mean, that might even be, you know, talk about spiritual warfare. That might be part of spiritual warfare, that those things are going on. And instead of speaking to them, you are listening to them, which will only invoke more and more anxiety. Okay. So if we are going to fight anxiety, if we are going to learn this, uh, this non-anxious way of being kingdom people in the midst of this, you know, very anxiety inducing world, we have to learn how to speak to our hearts instead of listening to them, right? Back to preaching the gospel. So find ways and maybe you need the help of your missional community or uh, your fight club. Like, help me speak to these anx- th- these anxieties that I seem to struggle with the most. So I'm speaking to them instead of listening to them. That that's one of the keys. And and in thinking like this, we're again we're treating it like temptation, because it's not just the initial feeling of anxiety that that I would say is a sin. Um, I think that's part of being a human, right? Realizing things are beyond your control. It's part of our limitedness as as human beings. But instead of giving it, you know, an inch and then it takes a mile, we say, hey, that inch is too much. I'm going to shut this down by speaking truth to this. So that's something that you can implement in the day-to-day life. So I, whether that's a scripture verse as, your, as that breath prayer to remind you to, hey, um, cast your anxieties upon God because he cares for you. Like just the reminder that God loves you. Just a reminder that God is working all things together for your good, right? Going back to, I'm, I'm thinking of when peace like a river, the hymn, that whatever would come, we can say it's well with my soul, right? Why can we say that? Well, because we know that God is working all things together for our good, that God cares for me, that anything that befalls upon me, God is going to use it for his purposes, So that is what speaking to your anxiety looks like rather than listening to your anxiety. We've got to learn how to do this and we can learn how to do it in the context of community. Now, I want to talk about something that gives me a boatload of anxiety. Okay. I'm going to be real honest with you. One of the things that induces the, uh, an, uh, overwhelming amount of anxiety in my life is thinking about how am I going to raise godly kids in a very ungodly society? So you might even think like this. So like I do all the right things raising my kids. You know, I'm, they, they're in the church. You know, they know Jesus. Um, they know that he died for their sins. They know that um, he's the king and, and everything is subjected to him to have a, a personal relationship with Jesus. Um, they love the church and the people. Like, so they're going through that and, and all of these things have been instilled in them. Um, yet when they come to the, to the time in their life where they can spread their wings and fly, like kind of they become their own adult in a sense, which 18 doesn't seem very, you know, when I was 18, I would say, yeah, I'm an adult, but it seems sort of premature in some ways, but that probably has more to do with the, uh, the vanishing American adult that, uh, Ben Sass speaks about in his book. But, but my concern is, Hey, if I do all the right things and my kids end up turning their back on Jesus, like if I, if I am, you know, we're doing family devotions and we're doing, um, 
we're doing Bible stuff together and my kids just, you know, they're, they're in, they part of a, a gospel community, right? And they, they have all these things and then they come to a point where they can start making decisions for themselves and they say, no, I'm, I'm going to go a different way. Now that, that ultimately worries me. Now, I want to speak to, to that real quick because one of the way, places where I find scripture speaking to that specific scenario, specific, specific scenario is in Luke 15, when Jesus is talking about, um, there's a series, a series of things that have been lost and then found. Okay. And it sort of comes to the climax in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, you know, this where the son's like, Hey, uh, I just want my inheritance, dad. I don't like this family vibe thing that's going on anymore. I'm going to go do my own thing. And the, the father sort of just lets him go. He doesn't fight tooth and nail. I'm sure he's grieving. In fact, we know that because as we're told every day, he's sort of looking out, waiting for his son to come home. Like there's something about that that's so, so sad for the father. And, and yet he lets him go and the son goes and he does his own thing. And he tries, you know, it's women, then money, then booze and drugs and certain lifestyles. And he just goes down the list thinking, I'm going to find fulfillment. I'm going to find fulfillment. And eventually comes to the end of himself. Thank the Lord. And he says, okay, I think I can go home. Maybe my dad will let me be a slave, a servant in the household, right? Not that I get to gain my status back as a son, but, but join his workforce, and, and it's the spirit that leads this guy to turn from the lifestyle that he was so entrenched in and to start going back home. Now, clearly the dad did something positive to show him that home was a safe place. Home was a place where arms were open Home was a place that did not have a lot of pretense or posturing. Home was a place that just could be who you are and still be loved. And so what the father did is he, I would say, you know, looking back on this through the lens of Jesus, he created a gospel culture in his home. He created a, a, a dynamic in his family life that was compassionate and kind and graceful, yet still had a conviction for truth. But that's the kind of culture he created. That's the kind of culture that the son says, okay, I, th I think I got to return to this. Now, my hope is like, this is a very promising thing for me as I'm a dad, three boys about to have a fourth kid. Like what happens if, you know, I'm a preacher's kid or, well, my kids, they're preacher's kids. What happens if the preacher kids starts walking away from church? Well, even here, the grace of Jesus that calls out to us still has the potential to, to beckon them back home. And proof of this is the fact that I myself am the prodigal son. I myself have walked away from Jesus, like literally, my, not, not in like a, you know, denounce my faith and completely reject the church and now I'm doing absolutely ludicrous stuff. But, but my story that I shared, I think even a couple of weeks ago was, you know, there, there was a season where I just wasn't really interested in the church, even though I grew up in the church and God, by his grace called me back, right? The, the sense of homesickness that the son felt, we all feel that like, like we're longing 
for the kingdom of heaven. We're longing for the pre-frustrated kingdom, uh, you know, that, that's not dominated and frustrated by sin. And the church is a place where we get a foretaste of that and ultimately points to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So that, if you're thinking that, let that be uh, a piece of gospel truth that sort of alleviates. Now, like I said, this doesn't mean we just sort of like are laissez-faire with, with what we do in the home, right? There, our decisions, our actions matter. And God has the power to use our actions, our decisions um, for the purpose of his will. And so it's not like this fatalistic, you know, like fate's going to run its course and we sort of just step back and, you know, that's not at, at all. The call for Christians, especially Christian parents, is to lead our kids into the arms of Jesus, to teach them to love him and to submit to him and obey him and trust him in every aspect of life. And so there's a big call here. So, so it's not like we just sit back and wait. No, we, we really have a lot of stuff that we can do in creating that gospel culture at home so that if our kids ever do veer away, right, they turn their back on Jesus, there's still something attractive and appealing about the culture that we've created in our homes that tells them, hey, you can go back to Jesus. He, he's got his arms open to, to them. So that's one thing. All right, now here's the other thing that, that I think gets a little more practical. The anxiety that I have about how our culture has this increasing relationship with technology. Now I'm not talking about like our, our culture is going to shift into like robots that run the world. I don't know. You know, ask Joe Rogan. He might tell you that's going to happen. That might be the case. I'm not so much worried about this. Here's what I'm worried about is that I personally know how dominating my cell phone can be for me. I know how consumed I can get by social media and, and sports apps and uh, any kind of entertainment that just keeps me in front of a screen. I know how, how hard it can be to peel away from that. And I also know the kind of temptation that is embedded in all of those things. Parents, you need to know this. Social media is not a neutral thing. Even if your kids have great friends and their, you know, their, their, their acquaintances, the people who they follow on Facebook are like good kids, you know, their parents are good kids and stuff. They still have access to all kinds of just straight up garbage. This is what scares me. Like there is child trafficking that's happening on Twitter. There is pornography that's available on Facebook. There are suggestive images that you can find on Instagram that just are basically a gateway drug to worse soul-killing things. And so the idea of putting a cell phone in my, I don't know, some there are some kids in kindergarten that have their own phones, which I've got opinions about that. I'll hold on to those. But it's like, there are kids that have this resource at their fingertips with no restrictions that literally put all of the junk, all of the, you know, like the black web right at their fingertips. It just terrifies the bejeebers out of me. And it's something that I think as parents, we really, really need to be thoughtful about. Now, this is what I'm doing. Right now, I'm in a season of weaning myself off of social media. Um, I, I, I mean, even last week I deleted Instagram off of my phone. I still have my accounts and every once in a while, you know, I'll post something or, you know, 
I still got to run some of the church social media account, which by the way is the worst social media account in the world. So if you're looking at that to have something awesome, I'm just going to be the first one to tell you that don't, that our, our, our social media stuff probably is not going to have it for you, which I don't know if that's a bad thing at all. Anyway, internal dialogue sidebar. So I'm thinking if I'm going to come to the point, I don't know my wife and I, you know, we, we still have a little bit of time before we have to cross this, this bridge, but more than likely I'm leaning toward not allowing my kids to have social media accounts. I'm, I'm leaning more towards like putting dumb phones in my hands. And I, I know that's going to come with a price. Okay. My kids, you know, if, if most of our social interaction is going to be happening digitally, you know, like even more so in the future, which I think eventually if we wisen up, like if we were listening to Jesus at all, if anything has to say about relationships, especially Christians, like we should be eager to sort of peel away from the digital world because it, it is a counterfeit version. It's like a, a hollow version of actually having relationships in our minds, in fact, because you can post whatever you want, put the glorious, you know, present to people your highlight reel and withhold the B-roll stuff that, that actually represents you as a real person. It's detri- it's dre- detrimental. It, it's 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 uh, counterproductive to real relationships, and I think as Christians we should be able to admit that. So what I'm saying, okay, I'm dialing back. I, I took Instagram off my phone um, last week. My screen time went down 85 percent, guys. You know how big of a bozo I feel for saying that. 85 percent of my screen time was mindlessly scrolling through Instagram. What? <laughs> what? You know, the, the thing that, that John Piper said, and I quoted this a couple weeks ago, or probably a month ago at, at this point, about how uh, in the end times, when it comes to Judgment Day, the only thing that Twitter and Facebook are going to come helpful for uh, is showing that prayerlessness was not due to a lack of, of time. Okay? So much time. And, and here's the reality, that if you're on your phone that much, you're, you're pulled away from, well, if you're doing at work, you're not being a good employee. If you're doing it at home, you're probably neglecting your family that's around you. Maybe you're not helping out your your spouse with whatever they're doing, right? Helping the kids with homework. You're letting your kids run around and play by themselves, you know, and missing some of the the sweetest um, years of their life while you're just flipping through and you know catching up on Sports Center memes, right? It's a problem. It takes you out of the room. Like, I see photos of people on date nights, and I, hey, listen. By saying this, I, I'm I'm coming at myself first here, where date nights are spent mostly looking at the phones and, and every once in a while glancing up for a conversation. Now, here's what I've, I've been doing. Here's how I've been re- redeeming my phone usage at date nights. Before I go on a date with Becca, I'll like look up uh, some great questions. And I know that there's like, there's probably like hard copy versions of this, but it's just on your phone. It's easier to carry this way. You find, you know, 15 questions for date night. Okay. Because usually that's where date night sort of solves out. You're either going to talk about your kids the whole time, which is not a very fun, it's not a fun date night, just for the record. Which there are going to be sometimes we got to talk about your kids. All right, all right, all right, okay. But date your wife, date your husband, and ask them questions. Ask them, hey, is there something that I can, is there something that you need from me that I'm not giving you right now? Is there something that you would like to have from me? What are your hopes and your fears right now? What what's occupying, you know, most of your brain space? What's taking up your energy? Where are you finding uh 
the ability to recharge. What are those things? What can I do to help you get recharged? So a ton of questions. So if you're going to use your phone, use your phone to help ask questions and engage in, in conversation. Okay. I'm kind of getting off the, off the track here. I'm just like venting at this point. And we're what, like 30 minutes into this. Okay. Bring it around here. What I'm saying is phones are disruptive Phones take us away from a, a genuine community and real relationship. And so I'm thinking as a dad, I don't want my kid to be a social dummy, okay? I don't want my kid to to be able to, the only way that he can relate to people is through a screen, whether that's like playing Xbox Live uh, or, 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 you know, texting back and forth, right? I think that those are skills that they're going to have to le- learn how to do, right? Email is something that d- is not going away. Text messaging is not something that's going away. Video, you know, Zoom calls, that's something that's not going away. you got to be able to have some sort of skills, but there has to be a line. There has to be some sort of balance where you say, this is not the only way. This is not even the primary way that you're going to relate with people. We're going to look eye to eye. We're going to learn how to be good conversationalists. We're going to learn how to ask good questions and share good stories and be present with people in the room, okay? That, that's one of the convictions that I have is we have to train our kids how to be good conversationalists. It's, it's part of the, being like an interpersonal, relational person, okay? We have to do that. But the other thing is that you are putting in that little little black rectangle that you so carelessly put in your kids' hands, whether they're like 8 or 10 or even 15, 16, 18-year-old, okay? I'm just going to say it. You are giving them a a portal right there to the dark corners of our world. And you are putting before them the opportunity to be tempted in ways that they just aren't capable of of handling. Now, here coming back to C.S. Lewis thing here. He's like, you he said that nobody knows the power of the wind, the the strength of the wind by laying down. Okay. Like the, the way that you learn how strong the wind is, is actually by standing up and resisting it and leaning into it. And so the solution to this is not sheltering our kids from all forms of temptation, but to give them the opportunity in, in sort of an incremental way to, to encounter temptation and to say no to it, right? Part of the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation. So it's not that, hey, take all temptation away from us. But Lord, when temptation comes, keep us from going into it. And so teaching them how to veer away from temptation, how to fight it in the gospel, how to have some self-discipline, right? Some self-control, which by the way is a fruit of the spirit. And not just dumping all of this temptation on them at once. And so... Those really, to me, are, are some of the biggest concerns that I have, some of the biggest anxiety-producing conversations that I have in my mind. Though they're not alone. I'm, there, there's some other stuff that, you know, I'll lay down on the couch and tell you about those some other time. But those are big things. And I think that if, if we are concerned about raising our kids um, to love Jesus, concerned with creating a gospel culture in our homes and in our missional communities. These are some things that we have to have on our radar, not to scare the bejeebers out, not, you know, not to just be like fearful all the time and cowering of like, oh, what's going to happen? But there are actually things that we can do to set things up in a way that's not going to just wreck our kids 
right? Create that gospel culture. Tell them about the love of Jesus. Remind them who's in control. Teach them how to fight temptation. Tell them that the Spirit of God is with them and wants to help them be led into righteousness. So that's some anxiety for you. I hope that helps you. I hope that just just even thinking through, hey, what do I do? How do I handle the anxiety that comes up in my life? But then also, hey, this this big thing about parenting and which parenting can be a huge source of anxiety. Let's wrestle through those things. And by the grace of God, get some discernment, some prudence with how to best approach these things so that, you know, when we're not just throwing our kids to the wolves. Okay, that's it. I love you guys. Uh I want to hear your thoughts about this. Um, if something resonates with you, some structured chord, if you got any more questions, shoot me an email, reach out to me. I'd love to dialogue more about this. I grab a cup of coffee, whatever. Um, and, and, and really also just present myself to you as a resource that if you're, if you're struggling with anxiety and going to community, um, just seems too overwhelming. I would be more than happy to have a pastoral conversation with you sort of like ease you into the conversation and, and get some some really trusted people around you to help disciple you and to lead you um, into a deeper trust of Jesus. So I love you guys. Uh, we will talk to you next time. <laughs>